This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. This is episode 66, and I'm going to talk to you today about how crime and punishment is not parenting. It's not good parenting, guys. I know that our society in the United States tells us that crime and punishment is their tradition for raising children and that it's kind of the standard, right? It's what we are expected to do. We are expected to set rules and then punish accordingly when rules are broken. And that's really the way our entire society is created here. We have laws, and when you break a law, there's a consequence. Often that consequence, when it's criminal behavior, is prison or jail time. And You know, there are many studies out there that show that this is not the right way to handle criminal behavior either, that it's not the best way, it's not the most effective way. Um, But that's a whole nother conversation that I am not going to bring into this conversation today. What I just want to talk about is using that model for parenting. And again, this is what we're taught. In our culture, we are taught that good parenting is this system of crime and punishment. We set rules for our house. We set expectations for our children. We set not only behavioral expectations, but moral expectations, ethical expectations. And then we decide that any breach of those rules and expectations must have been intentional. And the only way to change making a choice to break a rule is to punish, is to have some harsh consequence that is so painful that it forces our children to stop and think and not have that behavior or that choice happen again. Right. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about crime and punishment as parenting. We set rules. We say that breaking any of those rules is a crime and that crime must be punished. And that punishment is going to change somehow our um, ability for all of us, because, again, this is also the way our society is structured. But that punishment, that pain from the punishment is going to change our ability to make a better decision next time, to take a different action next time. And often that's true. You know, that that does work for probably the majority of people. Um, And those are neurotypical people. But this is controlling others through fear. And that's very damaging. When I was writing the Insider's Guide to ADHD, and I was researching um, all these studies on happiness, what really creates happiness, genuine happiness for us. And 
there were so many citations about parenting or even teaching like our culture in our schools with fear and how damaging that can be. You know, there's studies just done on that that show that when a child grows up in a state of fear, when they're constantly um, afraid of the punishment, afraid of their parents' wrath if they do something wrong, afraid of doing something wrong in the first place, that is changing their brain. And it can be somewhat traumatic. It's physically changing the structure of their brain. And it's causing damage for later on in life. Often those kids grow up and have depression, anxiety, you know, serious challenges that they are now saddled with, because they lived a childhood full of fear. And that's what crime and punishment parenting is. It's changing and controlling behavior through imposing fear. And that's just awful. You know, when we really lay it out that way, it sounds terrible. Who wants to do that to our children, right? But the real flaw in this for our kids with ADHD and autism is that it doesn't address the underlying reason for that behavior, for that rule being broken. And without addressing that trigger or that reason, what happens is that the behavior just continues and continues and continues because it's not their intention. It's not within their control. And so I can take away electronics from my son for the entire day and he lives for his electronics, right? He lives for playing computer games with his friends. I could use that as a punishment. I could use that as leverage. And what that tells him is that I don't understand him. I don't get it. I don't understand why um, he couldn't control his anger one day. I don't understand why he, um, you know, can't ever bring his dishes or his food garbage out of his room and put it in the kitchen. Um, I don't understand why it's so hard for him to write his Um, assignments and his agenda or to come home and want to do homework. You see, when I'm just punishing that, when I'm saying, well, you didn't do this like you should have, so no computer time, that doesn't correlate to the reason. We're not solving the actual problem. And of course, all of this foundational work comes from Ross Green and his books, The Explosive Child and Raising Human Beings. He, um, you know, outlines this CPS model, this approach to parenting that's very collaborative, that works on getting to the root, the the reason for the behavior. Um, in raising human beings, he calls behavior a symptom. It's, for instance, the fever. When your child has a fever, you don't say, well, darn it, you really shouldn't have a fever. I'm going to take away your computer because you should control that, right? It's a symptom of something else. We have to go to the doctor. We have to figure out what's causing the fever and address that cause. Maybe it's an infection. If our child has an infection that's causing a fever, they cannot um, get rid of the fever just by taking Tylenol or ibuprofen, right? The fever is going to continue and continue until we address the infection with an antibiotic. And that's what we're talking about here 
in what I define as good parenting. It's looking for the reasons and addressing our kids with kindness and compassion and empathy, because that is what changes behavior. And that is what raises kids who are also kind and compassionate and empathetic human beings to other people. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to raise kids to be adults who are not only happy and successful and fulfilled, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but that are also good citizens of the world, right? They're good to each other. They care about other people. They want to be helpful to other people. I find that incredibly important, crucial, really, to our society. Um, And so I just want to kind of outline what would create a happy, successful adult. What kind of parenting do we need to be doing in order to raise kids who are going to be happy, successful, fulfilled adults? Let's talk just a minute about that. Because that definition has to be determined on an individual basis. What does a happy, successful adult look like for your child? What does the journey to get there look like for your child? For my child, for instance, because he's a junior in high school now, and we're thinking about, you know, after high school, the, the path ahead, what adulthood will look like for him, what success and happiness, that path to get there, that journey for him does not include four-year traditional college. It doesn't. Now, our society will say that you have to go to college to be a successful adult, right? That's what they tell us. That's the way, the belief that we grow up with. But it's just not true. That's only true if we pigeonhole one tiny little definition of happiness and success. And we have to define that on an individual basis. Even you and I, we have to define what happiness and success looks like for us, not for the every person that's some mythical creature that we're all trying to be. We have to define it for us. What does success look like for me? When will I feel successful? What makes me happy? How do I feel fulfilled? You know, in my own story, helping others, doing this podcast, coaching and teaching parents with online courses, writing books to be helpful, that's fulfilling to me. That was the key piece in my journey that helped me to finally get to a place where I feel fulfilled. Um, I'm still working on, you know, all these other elements of living my best life, right? And living instead of just kind of going through the motions day to day. And I think we all kind of work on that forever. But I definitely have a lot of work to do in the area of living my best life. Um, But we're just talking about, you know, what makes you feel fulfilled? What makes you feel like you have purpose? You are contributing to your society, to the world at large, because that is of the utmost importance for our mental health. That is what keeps us on a positive mental path. Um, So that's what I mean when I'm talking about happy, successful, fulfilled adults. It is 
a definition that should absolutely be defined by keeping in mind the child that you have. This is an individualized definition. If I get nothing else through to you in this episode, this is what I want you to know the most. It has to be individualized or your child will not succeed. You will not feel like you succeeded as a parent. Define happiness and success for the child that you have. Please, I beg of you. That is so, so crucial. So let's talk about the seven aspects of raising a kid who can be a happy, successful adult. So the seven aspects of what I consider to be parenting, because I don't consider crime and punishment to be parenting. You can call it parenting, you can implement it as parenting, but it's not the best approach. It's often detrimental. It's often damaging. So here's the seven aspects that I feel like are parenting. One is to teach our kids kindness. And I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but it is a podcast and that often happens on podcasts. We have a lack of empathy right now. Our culture has an empathy deficit and we need it back. We can't feel connected to other people unless we can feel some empathy for what other people go through and the same for them for us. If no one has any empathy for us, how do we connect with others? And there is a lot of scientific data coming out about connection now. There are studies that show that suicide, um, gun violence, mass shooting, a lot of that is triggered for people by a lack of feeling connected to others, a lack of feeling like they have a place in this world, like they have any purpose. And so building those connections in every single kid and every single human being, helping them to feel connected to others, connected to those around them as a whole is so vitally important. And empathy is a big, big piece of that, a big piece. And connection was my number two. So empathy is number one, connectedness, feeling connections with others, genuine connections. Um, Even if it's only with one other really good friend or one or two people outside of your family, that's enough. It doesn't have to be that your kid's the most popular kid in school and they have 20 awesome friends that they hang out with on a regular basis. That doesn't create happiness. The quantity is not the important factor. It's the quality of the connection. Number three, kindness. You know, teaching our kids how to be kind, even during emotional upheaval, right? So if my child's really angry at me about something, he can lash out. He doesn't have great um, emotional communication skills, although they have gotten enormously better. He doesn't have great frustration tolerance all the time. So it's very easy for him to kind of react in a very primal way. 
saying hurtful things, um, slamming things, throwing things. So when we work on kindness with our kids, we're automatically giving them the skills to handle those other situations in a more kind and compassionate way right? We're teaching them how to consider the other parties around them when they're having a hard time. And it's not that they can always stop and consider that because we're talking about kids with, um, you know, physiological, clinical level impulsivity um, with a developmental delay in these skills that I have just talked about. So it's not that We can just snap our fingers and change that because we said, hey, you should be kind in all situations. But just building this idea of kindness to others, it's it's permeating. It's pervasive. It will carry over into lots of other situations. Um, Compassion is another big one having compassion for others. How do we teach our kids how to have compassion? We show compassion to them, right? We are compassionate to our kids when they are having a hard time. That is the first step of teaching compassion to model it. The same goes with kindness and empathy and Everything on this list, really, you know, our, our foundational piece of parenting is to model the behavior we want our kids to emulate, right? If I get super angry when my son lashes out at me because I'm now frustrated and upset, what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him that it's okay to lash out, to be angry, um, to have that sort of behavior and reaction to anger. But if I remain calm and level-headed and I try to problem-solve, then I'm teaching him that that is the way that we handle intense big emotions. Doing for others. I think this is really important um, And I'm not saying that you have to find time in your busy schedules and find willingness in your kids to go and do all these huge volunteer activities all the time. What I'm saying is instilling the idea that it's good to do for others. It's good to be a helpful citizen. And how do we do that? You know, how do we... um, become a helpful citizen? How do we show our kids that they should do for others? Again, model it first. But this is just much more simple than you're probably thinking of it. Because again, it's not about, you know, going and serving food at the shelter or going and packing um, bags at the food bank. This can be as simple as you know, helping your neighbor find their dog that's lost. It can be as simple as coming out to the car when you come home from the grocery store and carrying a load in to help you. It's the little things here. We want that sense of a need to do for others to be our kids' first reaction, right? We want them to immediately think, I see someone who could use some help. I'm going to help. That's what I'm talking about when I say teaching them to do for others. 
is it awesome if they want to go volunteer at the food bank or the shelter? Absolutely. And please, if that's something your child wants to do, please, please, please give them the opportunities and let them do that. That's amazing. But that's not the requirement of good parenting or of the parenting that I am kind of outlining here for you today. And the last piece, number seven, in these kind of bullet points of the key aspects of parenting in my mind is teaching independence. How can our kids be happy, successful adults if they can't manage themselves independently? And, you know, I I have told this story before, but I really, really fell down on this one for a long time with my own kids. It was so much easier for me to just do things for them, right? I know you feel the same way. It's so much easier and faster and less stressful and you don't have to nag as much and remind as much if you just do something for them. If you pick up their shoes in the middle of the kitchen floor and you go put them where they live in the hall closet, if you, you know, take their dishes out of their room and put them in the sink, if you make the sandwich for them instead of standing and watching them try to spread peanut butter and mutilate their bread for 30 minutes, it's always easier and quicker. But what does that do? Nothing. That serves us. It doesn't serve our kids at all. Um, it's really a selfish act. And it took me a very long time to figure that out. You know, a few years before my daughter was heading off to college, you know, that time where you think, okay, this child is going to leave my house and I'm not going to be able to do everything for this child anymore. And hello, I haven't taught her to do anything for herself yet, right? And I realized that all this time that I had been doing for my kids, I had actually been doing them a disservice. I was not teaching them how to be independent, how to do for themselves. And that's not to say that I never want to do anything for them. That's not true at all. Um, You know, I still make food for my son who's 17 sometimes, but the majority of the time when he's hungry, he goes to the kitchen and he makes himself some food. He doesn't come to me and say, mom, I'm hungry and wait for me to solve his problem. And that's because we started working on independence several years ago. Um, I would start working on it. If hindsight were 2020, I could go back and do it again. I would start working on independence around age three or four in, in age appropriate ways, in age appropriate ways. I would start very little preschool age. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know any better at the time. And I think that we also kind of attach love to doing things for our kids. We feel like we're showing them that we care about them when we do things for them. And that can be true in the little things that we still do for them because they still need us. But what I'm saying is we have to teach them to problem solve for themselves to say, I'm hungry, what should I do? Can I do it myself or do I need help from someone else? And asking for help for our kids with challenges is vitally important as well. You know, when you're teaching independence, teach your child to ask for help when they need it. Teach your child to advocate for themselves because these things are also very, very important. 
they are completely crucial to our kids. You know, once they graduate from high school, they have to advocate for themselves. Mommy can't call up college. Mommy can't call up your job and ask for an accommodation or, you know, talk through your struggles with your teacher, your professor, your boss. We we cannot do it. They will not take that call from us. So we have to teach our kids early on to do it for themselves so that when they get to adulthood, when they turn 18, it's second nature for them to advocate for themselves, to solve their problems themselves if they can and ask for help if they need it. It's so, so important because what happens if you're an adult and you are just constantly struggling and failing. Can you be happy? Can you feel successful? Can you feel confident or competent? Do you feel connected to others? If you feel like a failure all the time, that's all you feel. You don't feel happy. You don't feel successful. So, you know, teaching our kids all of these elements of success and happiness and teaching our kids to define what it looks like for themselves to not compare themselves with others. You know, for one person, success might be that they have extra money, that they drive a nice sports car, that they're, you know, the managing stockbroker or whatever it might be, that they're wealthy and they take lots of vacations and they have a big, expensive, nice home. Some people, I think for them to feel successful, they think they need that. And if that's what someone needs, then I guess that's defining it for them as an individual. But to define it in that way for our entire society just sets a lot of people up to feel like a failure because that's not success and happiness for them. It's something different. And we have to find that something different. So to circle back to our topic here, that crime and punishment is not parenting. Think about what I have said to you. Think about what I have shared here in this episode. Think about these things in terms of your own child, very specifically for the child you have, who they are today. What is your child's truth in the here and now, take that information and apply it to these other things. I want you to be really honest with yourself. Are you stuck in crime and punishment mode? Do you still believe that that is what parenting should be? Because if the answer to that is yes, that's the first work you have to do. You have to throw that out. You have to decide that parenting can look different and should look different. And so I challenge you to do that first if you need to do that work. And then sit down, make a list of these seven items of good parenting and make a plan. Write out a plan. How can I teach my child, my child, the child I have today, these different aspects? How can I approach my child in these ways? How can I parent my child through empathy, kindness, compassion, connectedness, 
independence. That is your goal. That is what you're now going to work toward. And I promise you, when you start to believe this, you accept this different way of parenting and you start implementing it, life will get better for your child, for you, for your entire family. It will create improvements. It will permeate into a lot of other aspects. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for every parent, a, you know, fulfilling parenthood, feeling like you've done the right thing to help your child be able to live their best life, right? And for every child to be understood and met with compassion. That's what I want in the world. And yes, it's a a grandiose idea, but I'm working one family at a time on it. And I really hope that you will take this information to heart and implement it for your own family. For the show notes, for anything that I've mentioned here in this episode, you can find them in the show notes at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 066 for episode 66. And as always, I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.